You are listening to Tell It From Calvary, a ministry of Calvary Baptist Church, New York City, where we preach Christ crucified, risen, and coming again. The following sermon is by Dr. Ed Stetzer, author, missiologist, and interim teaching pastor at Calvary. For upcoming events and services, visit our website at cbcnyc.org. And now, here is today's message. I want to welcome you. I'm Ed Stetzer, the interim teaching pastor here. And uh, we are in the process of uh, praying through a vote this afternoon. Uh, that will begin this afternoon, and want to encourage you to be a part of that as we um, are praying through the call of uh, Pastor Abraham Joseph. So uh, I'm praying with you, and uh, and I will. I'm, it's a members only meeting, so I won't be there today, but I'll be praying for you as well. I'll, I'll have a members only jacket, but I don't get to go to members only meetings. <laughs> so that being said, if you have a Bible, take it out. We we were in a series. Uh, we took a pause from that series, and. We're continuing that series now, Matthew chapter 6. We're talking, the series is called, I Gotta Know. I Gotta Know, and it's big questions answered by Jesus himself. In this Sermon on the Mount, the most important message by the most important person ever gave the message, right? The greatest teaching of all time by the greatest teacher of all time. So we're looking at question three, how are we to practice prayer? What does it look like to pray? And we learn... Practical skills, even as a child teaching to a parent, we learn through early on two ways, right? Uh, similarity and contrast. So similarity means uh, be or do it like this. I mean, for a child, here's how you walk, right? Um, here's how you eventually do your laundry, right? This is not something that I just had a conversation with my 17-year-old daughter yesterday, but she knows how to do her laundry, but that's another story. But it appears she suddenly has amnesia regularly when it is time to do that. And so contrast is do the opposite of this. Don't do it this way. Instead, do it this way. And so um, it's funny, too, because I, I find that I've picked up on some things that my, I've turned into my father. Let's just say it like I mean it. Right? I, I hear myself saying things like when the air conditioner's on, the door's open. Are we trying to air condition the whole world? And I'm like, wait a second, that was my father's thing, right? So... There's similarity and contrast is how we learn, and Jesus, the master teacher, is showing us in the Sermon on the Mount both approaches, both approaches. This is especially true uh, when, with the question we dealt with last week and our topic, uh, two weeks ago, excuse me, last time and our topic this week. Last week, last time, was contrast. Do not practice your righteousness before people. Right? Do not call attention to your giving to the needy. Right? That's Matthew 1, Matthew chapter 2. And, and that's Jesus pointing us to this uh, dissimilar. You know, this, this, is, this is the contrast. And then there's the similarity right there as well. Give with discretion. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So uh, open your Bible to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 is going to be our text. And, and I want you to, he just dealt with hypocrisy and self-righteousness versus righteousness. We saw in verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to see that times of prayer alone with our Heavenly Father, as we're going to see today, bring intimacy with God and the reward we seek. And the reward we seek. We're going to see three things, but I'm going to read the passage first to you. Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse, uh, verse 4, excuse me, verse 5. Matthew chapter 6, beginning at verse 5. It says, and when you pray, and when you pray, 
You must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at street corners to be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, I'm going to talk about reward unapologetically. We'll get to that. Verse 7, and when you pray, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. So three things we're going to look at today as we walk through this passage. Number one, we're going to look at, we're going to avoid the pretense of spirituality before others. Okay, so uh, number one, avoid the pretense of spirituality before others. Now let's look again. I think they have this on the outline. Number, number one is in verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Okay, so just a reminder, right? Jesus is first calling attention to prayer when he says, when you pray. Not if you pray, but when you pray. There's an assumption of prayer that's here. Prayer is a normal and regular part of being a disciple. In one sense, we pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says. We always be in this mindset of prayer with the Father, right? In another sense, in this passage, we might have a daily time or a routine. Unlike a hypocrites, though, we don't want to do this in public. We want to do this in private. So a couple of things. Uh, this is not a prohibition against public prayer, right? Because, I mean, ultimately, we just had we prayed together publicly, right? We see that actually in Mark 6, 8, Jesus, or Mark, Mark, excuse me, Mark 8, 6, it says he directed the crowds to the ground. He took seven loaves, having given thanks. So he prayed, gave thanks publicly. Jesus was speaking to his disciples when he began to pray his high priestly prayer in John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that he may glorify, uh, that the son may glorify you. So lots of examples of Jesus praying publicly, lots of examples of the early church praying publicly, Acts 4.24. When they heard this, they lifted their voices together and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and everything in them. So the issue is not public prayer. The issue is the motivation behind that public prayer. In none of those cases was public prayer used as sort of an example to look at the high spirituality of the prayer. D.L. Moody uh, once quipped that the person praying long prayers in public usually means they spend little time praying in private. Now, I don't think that's the totality of the story, but certainly there is some connection between those. The common posture for prayer in that day was, and was kind of standing with arms to heaven, right? This is, you see, where it says to lift, lift holy hands, right, in the scriptures, right? Uh, but but, but so, so the issue was not the uh, position of the body. This, this is actually how people would pray. But the, and, and there were times to pray, right? There was 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. But what would happen is some of the more self-righteous in the crew would kind of find themselves a good spot at 9 and noon at 3 so they could be seen in public praying. Now, um, you may have mentioned at the synagogue. Now, now again, um, we, we have to remember that, that whole context that almost everyone who would pray in that day would pray at a synagogue. So it's not sing, kind of singling out a certain group. But this is where these would see these things take place. Now, today, right, um, Today, we don't have the exact same 
there's not a, there's not a one-to-one correlation here, right? So uh, today, it might be somebody who desires to tell somebody about the good and righteous things they do, right? None of you would, even knowing this verse in there, no one would stand up and, and, and you know, raise your hands in front of everyone else and say, look at me, I am the righteous one. You would know better than to do that, but the condition of our hearts is still sometimes that we want to practice our righteousness before people. So don't just say, well, I wouldn't do it that so therefore, I don't practice my righteousness before people, right? We're Baptists. We know how to practice our righteousness before people. Um, and there's lots of ways that we can do it that are a little more subtle, a little more subtle than the lack of subtlety that we see in this passage, right? So what happens is, is the practicing our righteousness before people kind of goes underground, finds ways to express itself that are not so obvious and overt, But here's the reality, right? We find ourselves at times practicing our righteousness before others. So so the reminder is to avoid the pretense of spirituality before others, right? It's easier to look godly than it is to be godly. Let me just say that again so you don't miss it. It's easier to look godly than it is to be godly. It's it's easier as a pastor, right, to, to talk about spiritual things than day-to-day to live out spiritual things. One of the, we all, we all see, as a pastor, I want you to hear this, right? As a pastor, I preach a better sermon than I live. Now, that might sound terrible to say, but I preach the perfect standard of the perfect Word of God. And I, I, I don't know if you know this, I actually do not live up to the standards of perfection, right? Mrs. Stetzer can tell you with great detail the areas where I struggle and fail. And I didn't bring her today, so she wouldn't say, I've got some examples, but the reality is, is that, that all of us sometimes can put forward a face, so my job as a pastor is to hold up the perfect standard of the Word of God, and to be honest with you, as I just was, that I don't always live up to that standard, right? So we don't practice our righteousness before people. We don't tell them, well, look what I'm doing at church, or my actions during the week, or whatever it may be, right? It's not that we should hide our devotion to God, but neither should we practice our spirituality to focus on ourselves. And where we're going to head with this passage is times of prayer alone with our Heavenly Father bring intimacy with God and the reward that we seek. So number one, we started with number one, and we'll just review. Avoid the pretense of spirituality before others. Number one, avoid the pretense of spirituality before others. Number two, assume the position of humility before God. Avoid the pretense, assume the position of humility before God. So verse five, Jesus contrasts the hypocrites who show us how not to practice prayer, then he shows us how to practice prayer. Remember, we're talking about that contrast and that similarity, right? So this is the way not to do it. Here's the way to do it. Verse 6, but when you pray, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. And your father who sees you in secret will reward you. So the practice of private prayer has marked followers of Jesus for 2,000 years. Um, we can think of famous preachers in the past, right? Maybe uh, Jonathan Edwards is a name that you might know. You might not be aware that Jonathan Edwards is Aaron Burr's grandfather. So if you saw the musical Hamilton when he says, my grandfather was a fire and brimstone preacher, it's actually talking about Jonathan Edwards. So John Edwards is known for his fiery sermons, right? I would say much more than that, right? Failures and, and model that he might be. He's known as a great preacher, pastor, theologian in the revival called the First Great Awakening. What many do not know is that even as a child, 
Edwards would go off into nature and pray in a private prayer booth that he actually built. So what we see is often powerful preachers are connected to a personal place of prayer. And I would say the only reason we know that is that they were preachers who may at some point have told the story. I think powerful Christians so often have a personal place of prayer. Spurgeon put it this way. Spurgeon is another preacher. He said, nine times out of ten, declension from God begins in the neglect of private prayer. So as Jesus is being very practical here, right, to go into your prayer closet, um, let's be practical here. Maybe a we might call that a quiet time, a time alone with God, personal worship, your spiritual discipline, your daily prayer, whatever you call it, right? It's very important. The most important spiritual discipline uh, is, is actually that time and place of engaging. I believe the most, let me say it again, the most important spiritual discipline you will exercise is those that you do by yourself. I'm saying it doesn't go into church matter, it does. And I really want to encourage you to make it a priority. I recognize that the challenges of coming so in a pandemic make it more difficult, but I would encourage you to take the extra time, to do the extra work so you can be here in person with us. But I want you to know that the most important spiritual exercise that you will engage on a regular basis is what you do alone in that personal time of prayer. I remember hearing this when I was a new Christian, right? So in my new Christian um, experience, I, I heard this passage mentioned. I, I uh, had moved from, uh, from here in New York City area down to Florida, and it was very quickly I found out that my, uh, my experiences in, 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 in New York City area are different than the way people, like for example, they, they don't use certain words that I used. All My dad called them his bowling words, and so I found out that there are certain words that were profanities that we used regularly in my home. So soon I found myself in Florida with kids saying, there's this new New York cussing kid. Cussing is what they called it. Cussing. And I soon found myself not with a whole lot of friends. Parents wouldn't let their kids play with me. Um... And, you know, the Lord used that, though. The Lord used that. My mother was a relatively new believer. I got in trouble, as I often did. She forced me to go off to this retreat. It was like a punishment. She was a new believer. She made me go to this Christian camp. I heard the gospel and responded by grace and through faith. So, you know, new youth group age kid, non-Christian home, just learning these things. And so I really knew that I needed to make some substantive changes in my life, even at that relatively young age. Had to get some of the bullying words out of my vocabulary, among other things. So what I did is, I mean, I, I took very seriously, I wasn't, you know, because I didn't grow up in church, I wasn't the youth group kid who was sort of like, sort of in and sort of out. No, no, I was all in. I was all in from day one. So I actually heard this verse, and this verse took hold in my life in a very concrete and particular way says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret. So we lived in a house in an orange grove in the Orlando, outside of Orlando, and uh, didn't have air conditioning. We were the only house, I think, in central Florida didn't have air conditioning. But I heard this verse, and I knew I wanted the reward, right? Your father who's in secret will reward you. I wanted whatever God had for me, I wanted. So my brother and I shared a room, and there was a closet in that, not a super big closet, but a closet you could actually shut the door behind. I don't know as much space or room in there, so what I did is, because I also found that I had a hard time praying because I'm easily distracted. 
right? I, I have a raging case of attention deficit disorder. So I'll be paying attention to something and all of a sudden it'll be squirrel. And I found in my prayer life, I'd have my Bible open, I'd be sitting in my bedroom trying to pray, trying to read the Bible, and I, I'd notice a little mark on the wall, and I would say, I wonder where that came from. And then I would follow the mark, a little crack on the wall, and I'd go up there and I'd say, I bet that was, I remember that time when we had a little bit of a storm. Well, that was quite a storm. You know, storms are a big deal, and I'm against storms, and, and then I'm far from the Bible. So I took this verse, I took a place in the closet where I could, there wasn't enough room to like set up something in the closet, but if I pushed the shirts and the pants aside off the hangers and I'd put something on the wall and I wrote out my prayer requests and the verses I wanted to memorize and I took the little chair that my brother and I shared and I put it in the closet and I shut the door, the light in the closet, I would just look, no distraction, just me and just the word of God and I want you to hear this. The few years that I lived in that area, we eventually, you know, then moved back to New York. But the few years that I lived, walked in that closet were some of the most formative spiritual years of my life. So you might say, well, Ed, do I need to literally um, build a closet, right? Do I need to go out and have a she shed where I can pray? A man cave where I can have my prayer time? And, and the answer may be yes. Because I will tell you, doing so, setting aside a time and place for regularly engaging scripture and prayer was the most formative spiritual experience of my young believing life. So you too can walk in such a practice. How might you do that? In a day of you know, hyper-connectivity and, 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 and you know, everywhere we go, we've got you know, phones following us and people dinging us. And I want to encourage you, find your own prayer closet. Maybe you don't have room for a closet. I don't think the Lord calls us to build a new room inside where we might be. But what I could say is find a place. You may use the words, I give you permission to use the words prayer closet as a metaphor. Your prayer closet might be. My mother's prayer closet was at the dining room table. And she would go, and we knew she'd get up early, and she'd open her Bible, and we knew she was in. She called it her prayer closet. So some ideas for that time that might help you on this process. Determine in your mind and heart the importance of daily worship and prayer. Just decide this is important. This is essential to us. Set a place and a time, right? That's the idea of this closet, something you go into. For most, the morning is best, but another time where you can find and be consistent is fine. Prepare the heart. Right, you might start by reading some of the scriptures, you might read some of the Psalms, you might you might you might uh, have a worship song, meditate on a memory verse. You could do what I often do. I follow the model prayer in Matthew 6, 6 through 9, and as I pray. And we're going to go through those verses in the next few weeks. And remember, the goal of your time is to sit with your heavenly Father and focus on him and his love for you. So now again, in the idea of room, you know, find a room prayer closet. It's actually a closet in the King James Version, but it can be just a room. It's a storehouse a separate apartment, one's private chamber, one uh, d- dictionary describes it as a closet or a den where you can withdraw from the world and shut the world out and commune with God. It means a place of privacy with you and the Lord. And Jesus is, is our model here too. Remember similarity, contrast and similarity. Don't do this. Don't be like this. But instead do this. Jesus models this for us. That prayer closet that was basically just some moved shirts and pants on hangers and a prayer list on the wall, was actually inspired by a verse. Early on, I was discipled. I had a, uh, 
I was a new believer, and Steve, a, a, a lay leader in the church, said, well, we should memorize some verses together. So I said, sure. So we memorized Mark 1.35. It says this, rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he, Jesus, departed and went out to a desolate place where he prayed. So there's a clear understanding that Jesus models this for us. Similarity, right? This contrast, don't be like the hypocrites, be like Jesus. Luke 5.16 says, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So now I'm not saying, I don't think I probably need to spend too much time on this. I'm not saying you don't need one another. I mean, that's, I just talked about the importance of our gathered worship. What I am saying is, is that you need one-on-one time with the Lord. Um, and, and the thing the hypocrites miss, the, the thing uh, I don't want us to miss, the God of creation, the God who holds the universe together by the power of his word, the God whose power is beyond our comprehension, right? He delights in our prayers. God who needs nothing and lacks no good thing delights in the prayer of his children more, more than a good father even enjoys time with his children. I, um, I drove my daughters to different places in the last in August, right? So um, I drove one to, to Canada, to the University of Toronto, where she's doing her master's degree. And I drove the other to California, which I will assure you the drive to California is a long, long drive. And Donna, my amazing wife, says, you know, you, there are airplanes. You could just fly her out there. And I said, no, no, I, I want to spend seven days in the Honda Civic with my daughter driving across country. And I, I don't regret it in the slightest. I, as a loving father, want to spend time. I delighted in the time with my daughter. And God even much more delights in the time that we spend with him in the word. See, it says your father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't want you to miss this, right? Your father sees. Your father sees in secret. And what's the reward? Well, it's not the praise of men. Like the hypocrites, that's the contrast. That's right? the praise of men as the hypocrites seek. The, 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 that's the only reward they'll see, and it's an empty reward. But Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So when I, when I go into that secret place with the Lord, right, by the way, the word secret is the Greek word from which we get the word crypt, crypt, something hidden that cannot be seen by others. As a matter of fact, Dallas Willard actually refers to, and I love this, the, the, in the spirit of the disciplines, he refers to secrecy as a spiritual gift. The secret to prayer is to pray in secret. Say it again so don't miss it. The secret to prayer is to pray in secret. And in each of the three examples, remember we're walking through a book of the Bible, in each of the three examples in this chapter, giving to the needy, prayer and fasting, We are told that the proper practice leads to reward from the Father. So this reward is unapologetically put here before us in Jesus. We don't like to think of doing things for the reward. Doing them is the reward of themselves, we might say. But Jesus actually says, your Father will reward us. And King James actually says, openly reward us. Now, what could that be? Well, I think it is a lot of things, more than one thing. Right, answered prayer, right? Answered prayer in the midst of this, right? Answered prayer in this life as we bring our needs before the Father in secret. He responds with answers that impact our lives in public, right? So we see the secret leads to the public. But most important, 
is the reward of intimacy with God, which we'll enjoy not just now, but for, for all eternity. The greatest reward of prayer is God himself. Let me say it again. The greatest reward of prayer is God himself. So times of prayer alone with our Heavenly Father bring intimacy with God and the reward we seek, which is that relationship with him. Let's look. Number one, avoid the pretense of spirituality before others. That's number one. Avoid the pretense. Number two, assume the position of humility before others. So, so, so avoid the pretense. Assume the position of humility. And number three in our outline, acknowledge the privilege. Acknowledge the privilege of intimacy with God. Acknowledge the privilege of intimacy with God. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Heap up, I like that phrase, right? Don't heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. They think they'll be heard by their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So again, it is when you pray. I mean, how many times have we got here? When you pray. So there's an assumption that we would be praying, and if we're not, that assumption probably needs to be addressed in our lives and corrected in our lives. But the term prayer in verses 5 through 8 is actually the comprehensive word for prayer in the New Testament, in the Greek. It means to speak out towards someone, in this case, towards God. And empty phrases is an interesting term, right? It's, 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 um, it, it's the idea of babbling, right? And you'll see some translations say, don't babble on. Uh, the NIV says, don't keep babbling like pagans. Um, some versions, like the New King James Version, says vain repetition. It's not that just saying a prayer with which we're familiar is wrong. It's vainly repeating them like a mantra. Now, here's an irony, right? Um, we just prayed the Lord's Prayer, which is right after Jesus says, don't repeat things, this vain repetition, this babbling. Now, now because the reality is, is that um, I, I, I still remember as a child, we didn't go to church a lot, but when we went to church and Christmas and Easter, maybe, um, and I remember when I went and I got my, um, I, I went through first, uh, first communion, right? And I remember I had to go to confession, beforehand. And I remember going to confession that following going to confession, or at the end of confession, I was given a a series of prayers to repeat. And I always sort of wondered what was going on in that booth. Did like the priest have a chart in there? And it was like, okay, so got angry, impure thoughts, jealousy, that leads to this many prayers. But I do remember very clearly being told to pray the Our Father, I don't remember how many times, but to pray the Our Father a certain number of times as part of my response to that confession. And I remember that, that sometimes people would say, I've had this remarkable high number of those things. And I, what I want to say to you is, is that I don't think that when Jesus tells us not to be about vain repetition, that the end result would or should be that you might pray the Our Father a certain number of times to accomplish some spiritual cleansing in your life. Now, now mind you, um, I pray regularly, Our Father, and I, it, it, Our Father in heaven, these fancy new translations. It's Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. And it's trespasses, not debts, but that's another story for another day. 
They actually put it in the bulletin. It says, use debts. Right? And that's fine. That's fine. It's a better translation, actually. Um, but I think that there is a natural human inclination. And we know this, actually, from studying cultures around the world, that every culture in the world creates a religion. And most of those religions have a series of prayers that you recite over and over and over and over, somehow to keep the gods or God happy. And Jesus says, we're not like that. Now, it says, when you pray, don't, think, don't heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. Now, and I say, saying to our Father does not have to be heaping up empty phrases. But that's what it was when I was a kid. And I think that's what it can be for a lot of us. But there's a better way. Not vain repetitions. The point's not even that repetition is wrong, but vainly repeating them over and over and over again like a mantra. The point is, is the mere forming of words and reciting them the forming of words and reciting them is not the point of prayer. Let me say it again. The forming of words and reciting them is not the point of prayer. Prayer brings us into the privilege of experiencing intimacy with God, our Father. It reminds us that he is neither a cold nor a far God from us, but a loving Father who delights in the time with his children. In contrast of heard by their many words. So religions make up chants and mantras, believing that in constant repetition they'll gain some sort of audience with the deity. Um, and, and, and I would just say, just to remind us, that repeating a request is not the same thing as a vain repetition. Right? Uh, vain repetition, to quote from A.T. Robertson, is the babbling of words without a sincere desire to seek and do God's will. The mere reciting of memorized prayers can be a vain Repetition. Now, don't miss that. I, 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 I have prayed through prayer books. I don't think that that's vain repetition. Uh, what, I'm, what we're talking about is simply doing something from rote that we think somehow will keep God happy. Now, it would be odd for me to sit down with Donna for a quiet, intimate dinner and simply repeat the same thing over and over again. Instead, we talk about a lot of things we care about. Prayer is a lot like that. We sit with our Father. And we have much to say to him. So later in the sermon, Jesus will talk about persistence in prayer. That's later in the Sermon on the Mount. And he'll remind us that we need not badger God with our needs. And we'll talk about the balance between that and persistent prayer. For example, in, Act, in, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 and 8, it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. At the same time, God encourages us to, to come to him with our needs. James 4.2, inspired scripture as well, says, You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. So we want to bring our needs to the Lord. So again, there's a little bit of an irony that Jesus warns against vain repetition just prior to giving us the prayer that is, excited, that is recited more perhaps than any other prayer in the Bible. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, now, now again, it can be a vain repetition, right? It can be, I mean, I, we, we've all seen people say it who don't mean it, right? But they somehow think maybe they can wear down God by saying it over and over again. You won't wear down God. And times of prayer alone with our Heavenly Father bring intimacy with God and the reward we seek. 
They said, before you ask him, right? Because God really doesn't need new information. He knows these things. What, what we can come before him is a spirit of worship, dependence, and gratefulness. Again, God is not a distant pagan deity we have to awaken from his sleep by the many words and the prayers and the repetition of them. He knows our needs as a good father with his children. He says, bring our needs to the father because he delights in his children, bringing them their concerns. So again, a few things, right? The practice of prayer is not something to do before people, but alone with God. The practice of prayer means coming before our Father in humility. And the practice of prayer acknowledges that we can have intimacy with the God who is over all things. So I tell you all of these things not simply to say this is a good truth, though it is a good truth. What I want to say to you is, is that maybe in your background, the vain repetition of prayers was never an issue. It wasn't mine. Um, Maybe in your background, you come from a different place and a different path. But we all end up before the words of Jesus today who calls us to an intimate relationship with him. There's a phrase that we Christians often use about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It's an interesting phrase because it implies something that I think a lot of Christians who use the phrase don't necessarily live in that way. A personal relationship with Jesus Christ means that I'm spending time with God. Spending time in prayer with the Father in that prayer closet, right? I'm praying in the name of Christ for Him to be glorified, to know Him better and more. Um, a few years ago, I was asked to speak at a meeting in um, Washington, D.C. It was a gathering of... Um, Education leaders, government leaders, and religious leaders. It was during the Obama administration. President Obama was one of the other speakers there were, um, that was there. And the theme I was asked to speak on was, how do we help Christians get more involved in caring for the hurting and the needy and the marginalized in their community? So they said to me, um, they said, Dr. Stetzer, but they said, Dr. Stetzer, can you based on, you just did a big research project, and one of the factors that comes out of that research, by there are eight things that are marks of discipleship. One of the eight is, is that people are serving other people. So that's true. It says, so can you do some analysis and present here what is it that creates the kind of Christians that serve other people? And so we did. And so I spoke. And it was sort of fun talking to this group of mix of people who were some of the Christian faith, some of no faith, some of other faiths. But my assignment was clear. It was, how do we shape the kind of Christians that serve other people, care about the marginalized and the poor in their community? And so I did the research. Well, I didn't do the research. My team did the research. And so my job was to present the research. And here's what we found. The number one correlation between somebody serving other people and somebody not serving other people the highest level of correlation was whether or not they were reading the Bible daily. So I get up in front of this avant-garde gathering of education and government and religious leaders, and I said, if you want Christians that care about the marginalized people in our communities, teach them to read the Bible daily.
I didn't get invited back to that conference in subsequent. I mean, I, I factually presented. I, I gave the, I gave the data. I talked t-tests and Cronbach alphas and did all the statistical things I was supposed to do. But here's the thing you might find interesting. I told them this too. It's online if you're interested. But I told them this too. Um, actually, reading the Bible daily is the number one thing that correlates with every single expression of discipleship in our lives. You want to share the gospel more? Read the Bible daily. You want, to, you want to care for your neighbor, deny yourself? Read the Bible daily. It correlates at a higher level with every other spiritual discipline. So I would say Jesus' words are true regardless of whether or not research backs them up. But when he says, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who's in secret, that practice is transformative. Thank you for listening to Tell It From Calvary. If you feel led to give toward the local, national, and global ministries of Calvary Baptist, please visit cbcnyc.org slash give or call us at 212-975-0170. We hope you join us next time as we continue to tell it from Calvary.